If you would, grab your Bible this morning, turn to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to continue our series this morning on the marks of Christian growth. You notice I've got a yardstick up here, or it's an awful big yardstick. Um, but uh, Ms. April Curley, or Ms. April Gilbert made that for us. And, um, and it's basically a chart that Peter gives us that shows us that if we're adding these things to our life as a Christian, then you can actually gauge your growth as a Christian. And then he takes it even one step further. And he says, if you're not growing in these things, if you're not increasing in these things, then there is reason for you to actually question your salvation. And so this morning, you're going to hear the preacher say for the first time ever, that maybe you need to question your salvation. I don't know. But if this is an area, we're going to go through it this morning, and you're going to be able to see a glimpse of it. I'm hoping maybe you will leave here this morning with a full assurance of the hope of Jesus Christ in you, and that you will be able to see it because of the evidence that is in your life. And so if you would, let's read 2 Peter chapter 1. If you have the means and are able... I would appreciate you standing to give reverence in this reading of this powerful and living Word. We're going to begin in verse 3 and go through verse 15. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And it comes through the knowledge of Jesus Christ who called us, notice that He called us, And He called us to His own glory and His own virtue or His own excellence, by which He granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So for this very reason, make every effort, Don't ever think for one second that you don't have a part to play in your sanctification. For this very reason, make every effort to add or supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And then notice what it says in verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and they're increasing then they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these things, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will soon be as our Lord Jesus Christ has already made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. You can be seated. Peter tells us in this letter 
that he's about to die. He don't say it that way. He actually says that I know the putting off of my body will soon be. Even as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, if you were to go back to John chapter 21, I believe it is, Jesus actually told Peter and gave him a glimpse of how he would die. And so now Peter is actually at the place in his life where he's able to see the circumstances around him and he knows that what Jesus said is coming to pass. I'm fixing to put off this body. I'm not fixing to die because as a Christian, we never die. But I am going to put off this body and put on a new body and so I'm no longer going to be with you in the flesh. So because I know that I'm no longer going to be with you in the flesh, it is my desire to make sure that I leave you with what I believe is the most important thing for you to possess as a Christian. I'm going to leave you with the final lesson that I believe is more important than anything else. And namely, he's speaking of spiritual growth, growing in our faith. And he explains why this is most important. But just going through this very quickly, stay with me in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So very quickly, here's what you see. The goal in life is to live in a godly manner. That's the goal. And so ultimately, he wants us to understand that His divine power has given you everything that you need in order to do this. Now here's something that you, um, without getting too technical with you here, y'all know that whenever, um, whenever an egg is fermented, let me put it like that, whenever it is fermented, a seed is planted. And at that moment of conception, all the DNA that is needed in order to make you everything that you're going to be is there in that seed. The problem is, it hasn't developed yet. But as time goes on and as you grow, all the things that God has already put in that seed, it's there. And all it has to do is develop as it comes along. And so what God is saying to you in 1 Peter, He actually puts it this way. He says that you have been saved by the gospel with an imperishable seed. In other words, God has placed the seed of the gospel in you. And so at your new birth, you have been given everything in your spiritual DNA in order to become everything that God means for you to be. The problem is it hasn't developed yet, but it's there. And so Peter wants you to understand that his divine nature, because that's the seed that's been planted in you, his divine nature and his divine power has granted to us everything that you need in order to live a godly life. No one will ever be able, or no Christian will ever be able to stand before God and say, I didn't have what I needed to live godly couldn't follow you. I couldn't do right. I couldn't do good. No matter how hard I tried, because he would look back at you and say, wrong. You were given divine nature. You were given a seed that contained everything you needed. All you had to do was access it and grow in it. 
And so you've been given everything you need that pertains to life and godliness. And it comes through the knowledge of Him who called us. In other words, the way that this seed came is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whenever you were given the gospel of Jesus Christ and you were shown your sin condition, and then you were given the remedy of the gospel of Christ, He says, this is the way that the divine power came to you. Because Jesus made all things right between you and God, and now His nature is able to come and live within you. And so the divine power comes through the knowledge, and it comes through the call. He called us to His own glory and excellence. If you have answered the gospel today, it's because you heard the call. And what was the call? You're in darkness because of your sin, but I am glory, I am excellence, I am good. And so I'm calling you out of darkness through Jesus Christ into the light. And so He called us through His own glory, and to, or He called us to His own glory, and to His own excellence or His own virtue. And then in verse 4 He says, By which, by what does He mean by which? By the gospel. By the gospel He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. In other words, He has given you all the promises of God through Christ Jesus. Everything that God has ever promised, you have access to. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. You have access to every one of them. And so by the gospel, He has granted to you His precious and very great promises. And then He specifically names two of them. The first promise is this, so that through them, through the promises you may become a partaker of the divine nature. So that's the first promise. God's going to give you His Holy Spirit. If you are a believer, and if you have answered the call to come to the light out of darkness through Jesus Christ, if you've heard that call and if you've answered it, then the promise is this, I will give you my Holy Spirit. You possess it. It's there. The DNA has been given. And the second promise is that you have escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So here's the other promise. Now sin will no longer be your master, but instead sin is now your enemy. You've been given the power through the divine nature to overcome sinful desire. You no longer have to live in darkness. Now you can see the light. And now you can come out of the darkness and you can walk toward the light. This is the gospel message through and through. There's nothing missing here. But then let's go to verse 5. For this very reason. For what very reason? For the very reason that you've escaped sinful desire and He's given you power over it to fight it. For the very reason that He's given you the divine nature and given you the DNA for all things to live a godly life. Because you have answered the gospel and you've heard the call to come out of darkness and into the light, if indeed you've heard the call, because of these things, for this very reason, you should do what? Make every effort. Because God has saved you from darkness and He's calling you to light, what is your responsibility now? 
to make every effort to lead the darkness and to walk in the light. And so he says, you need to make every effort to supplement your faith or to add to your faith. Remember, it all begins with faith, and that's the reason on the growth chart you've got the one at the bottom that's faith. And then he says, you want to add to this thing. And so add to your faith virtue. We studied that last week. Add to your faith moral excellence. In other words, He's calling you out of darkness and He's calling you into light. So now, walk in the light. But the problem from last week, you might remember, is that we can't. We've been given everything that we need in order to do it, but we don't know how. And so He says, add to your virtue, knowledge. If you want to know how to walk in moral excellence, then you need to have knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you see the example of Jesus Christ and you have this knowledge, and if you are accessing the power of the Holy Spirit within you and applying those things to your life, then you are growing in your faith. And this is important because we're going to get to this one today. Add to your knowledge... Self-control. Why is that important? Because what good is it to have knowledge of something and to actually do it right today, but then tomorrow you don't apply that knowledge. And so he says there has to be self-control. And we're going to talk about self-control. But before we get there, move on with me to verse 8. He tells us why it's important that you're growing. And I'm asking all of you, please pay close attention to this. This is the most important lesson you will ever have from a pulpit anywhere. Listen to this. For if these qualities, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, or steadfastness, godliness, brotherly love, and then finally love, agape love. For if these qualities are yours, and they're increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. What happens to branches that don't bear fruit? God cuts them off and He throws them in the fire, right? Do you want to be ineffective or unfruitful in the gospel? If these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge or in the gospel. And in verse 9, For whoever lacks these qualities, if you're missing these qualities, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind and he's forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. In other words, the problem with somebody who is not growing in these is that they don't understand the call that they've received. If you're not adding to your faith virtue, the question Peter asks is this, have you actually heard the call? And if you did, was it the gospel call? Because the gospel call says, hey, you're in darkness under the wrath of God. But here's light. And it comes through Jesus Christ. And the gospel call understands that I've been cleansed from my darkness and been called to the light. And so Peter says this, if you lack these things, here's probably the issue. Maybe the fact of the matter is, you never really understood what it meant to be cleansed from darkness and called to the light. 
And so on that note, he goes to verse 10. And look what he says in verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your call and election. What does he mean by that? In other words, maybe you don't need to worry about adding to faith. Maybe the thing that you need to worry about is confirming the fact that you have received the call. Look what it says. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling sure. Have you heard the gospel call that says, I'm calling you out of darkness into the light? And have you answered that call through Jesus Christ? And so make your calling sure and make your election sure. Make sure that He has chosen you to come out of darkness and into the light. And if you've heard the gospel call, He has chose you. But you need to make your call and make your election sure. And then he says in verse 10 at the end, For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Here's what he's saying. If you have these qualities in your life and you're practicing them and you're increasing in them, you will never go backwards. Not saying you're not going to mess up. Not saying you're not going to make mistakes. He's saying you will never go back to darkness. There's not a day that's ever going to come that you're going to say, okay, I'm done with this, and instead I'm going to go back to where I was. Because you know what He's cleansed you from. You know what He's promised you. You know what He's called you to. And so we need to make sure that our calling and election is sure. And then finally in verse 11, for in this way, in what way? In the way of living by faith in these qualities, in light of the gospel that saved us, Now, for this very reason, I'm doing these things because I heard the call and I understand the call. So in light of that, in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Do you want to know if you're saved this morning? Peter says, you can know and you should know and you ought to make it sure. And the way you know is that you're living in the light because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're doing that and these qualities are yours and they're increasing, then you can look at your life and you can say, I'm taller this year than I was last and I'm growing in my faith. And as a result of that, I know my call is sure and I know my election is sure. And so I say to you this morning, if you don't know that, then before we get into anything else, you need to make your call and your election sure. It would be better for you today to humble yourself and say, I'm supposed to have been saved for 60 years now, but today I've realized that my call ain't been sure and my election ain't been sure. It would be better for you to humble yourself and to do that today than it would be to keep walking in this path you're walking and get there and hear Him say, Depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. And so I pray today that you make your call and election sure. Last week we examined adding to our faith virtue or moral excellence, and we do this by adding knowledge. And then today we're going to add to our knowledge self-control. What is self-control? Self-control, if you're taking notes, is this. It is normal daily war with yourself. Let me say that again. Self-control is normal daily war with yourself. 
If you don't have normal daily war with yourself, that's another reason to question whether or not you're walking in the light. If you have normal daily war with yourself, that's another evidence that you are growing in your faith. Self-control is normal daily war with self. Think about the very name. Self-control. What does the very name imply? The very name implies a battle with a divided self. In other words, if I need to control self, it lets me know that there is something inside of me that's trying to lead me one way and something inside of me that's trying to lead me another. And self-control means that I'm going to be in the battle to control the divided self. Think about Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And they are opposed to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish, or they're opposed from one another to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Your ways are not God's ways. And so when God puts His Spirit in you, there's a divided self. It's no longer just a conscience inside of you that has a slight moral compass. Now there is the Holy Spirit that shows you God's goodness. And now there is a battle that takes place to either follow God's way or my way. And if we'll be honest, a lot of times we follow my way instead of God's way. And the reason being is because we have not added self-control to the knowledge that we have. We have the knowledge, but instead of applying the control to ourself, we just follow through with what the flesh wants. Self-control is essential for knowledge to produce any type of virtue in your life. No virtue is ever going to be produced, no matter how much knowledge you have, unless self-control is applied. Look with me at Job chapter 31, verse 1 through 4. In Job 31, verse 1 through 4, Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin or at a young woman? And so here's what he's saying. I've made an agreement with my eyes. I've already told my eyes that this is what we're going to look at and this is what we're not going to look at. And here's why he has done that. Go to verse 2. What would be my portion from God above and my heritage from the Almighty on high? If I did look at that. Go to verse 3. Is not calamity for the unrighteous? In other words, because I know that it is wrong for me to lust after a young woman in my heart. And let me tell you this. Your desires are actually good servants of yours. Is it wrong that a man likes a woman? But can it be wrong? Can that desire be bad if it is not controlled? And so it's not that your desires are necessarily evil in themselves, but if they are not controlled with the knowledge that God gives you, then your desires will lead to evil. And so Job has the knowledge that calamity is what the unrighteous get, and disaster is what the workers of iniquity receive. He has this knowledge. And then in verse 4, he says, Does not he see my ways and number all my steps? So because of this knowledge that I have, 
I go back to Job 31 verse 1. Go back to verse 1 with me again. Here's what I have done. I have made a covenant with my eyes so that I will not look upon a young woman in an unrighteous way. I know that it is not wrong for me to desire a beautiful young lady. But it is wrong for me to do it in an ungodly manner. And so I've made an agreement with these eyes. When they start going this direction, we don't look. We don't go there. Because I know and have the knowledge of what the result of this unrighteousness is. And so I am going to control myself in order to make sure that I follow the path of righteousness. And so self-control is essential for knowledge to produce any type of virtue. Self-control is essential to win the race of a life of godliness. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. Look what he says. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run or run in such a way that you may obtain the prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to receive an imperishable wreath. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but instead, here's what I do. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Here's what Paul understands. If I'm going to win this race, it is not going to happen without self-control. If I let self have full control of what he wants to do or she wants to do, I'm going to be disqualified. I'm not going to be able... Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable crown. We do it as Christians. Do what? Exercise self-control. We do it to receive an imperishable crown. Because I know that this is the way the winners run. If you're not exercising self-control in your life, I'm sorry to tell you this, you're disqualified. You're not going to win. But if you exercise self-control, you'll win. So here's the question this morning. How do we develop self-control? Well, the first way Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. You know the story. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, He brought three of His closest friends, Peter, James, and John, to pray with Him while He is fixing to face His darkest hour. And here's what He says to them. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Here's what he's telling them. Guys, you don't want to fall into temptation. He's not saying you don't want to be tempted because he knows they're going to be tempted. But he's saying you don't want to fall into it. So how do I avoid letting self have control and falling into temptation? Watch and pray. If you want to develop self-control in your life, you have to learn to watch. Your adversary is like a roaring lion. And he's going to and fro, and he's just waiting for an opportunity to cause you to lose self-control. 
and to gratify your fleshly desires. And so we have to make sure that we are watching. Now if you remember, Jesus had warned Peter that Satan had already asked for him to sift him like wheat. So Peter already had warning. He'd already warned the other disciples that they would strike the shepherd and the sheep would be scattered. They, they had warnings of what to watch for, of knowing the ways that Satan was going to try to come after them. And so he's telling them, you have to be on guard and you have to be watching. And so one way that we can watch, according to this example, is by identifying your primary battles. Have you ever stopped for a minute to try to identify what the primary battles are that you face in the flesh? And if it takes you very long to identify that, the truth of the matter is you ain't fighting very hard. I don't say that to be mean this morning. I say that to be honest with you. If it takes you very long to identify what your primary battles are whenever He tries to come at you with your fleshly desires, you're not fighting very hard. I know my battles. I know exactly how the devil comes at me. I know the weaknesses I have. I know the things he tries to attack me with. Job knew the weaknesses he had. Job knew exactly how the devil would try to come after him. And I believe that's one of the reasons why the Bible tells us that Job was a perfect and upright man, blameless, feared God and shunned evil because he identified his primary battles. Have you identified, it took just a moment to identify what your primary battles is? What are the things that you are most susceptible to? And are you watching for these things so that you plan ahead? James chapter 1 verse 14 and 15 says this, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Now think about that for a second. How is Satan going to come after you? He's going to come after you by what your personal fleshly desires are. The things that grab you. And if He's going to do that, then wouldn't it be wise for you to identify what your primary battle is so that you can make sure that you plan ahead on how I'm going to attack this. And so one of the things that I thought about was this. If gossip is one of the ways... He gets you, I ain't going to ask you to raise your hand this morning, but I just wonder how many people in here could say that, um, uh, you know, one of the things I get myself into is for some reason I open my mouth and then a few days later I realize that I've opened my big mouth and I've done created a hornet's nest and this is where, this is where I catch myself all the time. This is how Satan comes after me. And so maybe one of the ways you can do is recognize this is my primary battle and this is how I'm going to plan ahead to make sure that I don't get caught up in those things so often. Or maybe never again. I don't know. But maybe your plan is going to be instead when I catch myself trying to talk about negative things, I'm going to stop that and turn it around and I'm going to find something good to talk about. There's always something negative to talk about. Listen, you're in a room full of sinners. You understand that, right? You're always going to find something negative to talk about. Look at me. Come spend a day with me. Probably won't even take you that long. Come spend just a little time with me and you won't have long before you'll have a list of things to talk about your preacher. Because he's a sinner. That's what he is. Or... Maybe you can look at some of the good things I do. 
Maybe you can start trying to talk about some of the good things that are in our lives and some of the good things that God is doing. And so we fight that. Maybe you limit your hobbies. Maybe your hobbies and your entertainment. Maybe your sleep or your food. Maybe that's how the devil comes and attacks you. I don't know. Maybe he attacks you with your TV. Do like I said last week. Go in and unplug the stupid thing. You know this is how he's going to get you. You know this is how he's going to consume your time. So unplug this thing. Sports. Maybe this is the way he's going to get me. Well, maybe you make a covenant with yourself to say, okay, we're going to enjoy this, but not at the expense of this. And so here's the rules we're going to put in place to make sure that it does not become a God in my life. I'm going to enjoy it, but it's not going to be what I serve. You see that? Entertainment, hobbies, whatever it is. Be like Job. Maybe, um, maybe you know that um, you're like Job. Maybe young ladies or young men or whatever the case may be is the way that Satan comes and attacks you. Maybe you need to make a covenant with your eyes. Maybe, maybe you need to uh, uh, invest in, in some of those internet filters. There's all kind of great internet filters out there that can help you fight what needs to be fought when it comes to the struggles. Here's the thing about it. If you've identified the battle then you're able to take a plan of approach at it and say, here's how I'm going to develop self-control because I'm watching. And then finally, you don't just stop at watching, but instead you pray. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 says, we don't have a great high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but instead we have one that in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So because... He has already controlled self. He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace or undeserved mercy that we may receive this mercy to find the grace we need to help in our time of need. Here's the thing about it. You have a Savior who has already had to defeat self. And because of that, He knows exactly what you need in order to defeat it. And so if you're watching and you're identifying your battles and you're praying and you're asking for the help, then you will have what you need in order to develop self-control and follow the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. Why is this so important? Because without self-control, you are disqualified. Let me say that one more time just in case you didn't hear it. Without self-control in your Christian life, you are disqualified from the race. Did I make that up or did I not already read it to you? That's the truth of it. And so if you want to be qualified, then run in such a way that you may obtain the imperishable prize. Second way. Fast for practice. Flex your spiritual muscles. You might remember in uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, the Bible tells us that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And you know how the battle takes place. Basically, we see that he's coming in, he's trying to attack Jesus to give in to his fleshly desires. If you're really the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. If you're really the Son of God, you're hungry. Turn them into bread. Just eat. 
And all this was a test. And so the, how did Jesus prepare for the greatest battle in His life? And the reason I say this is the greatest battle is because if He can't defeat Satan in the wilderness, He can't defeat our sin. If He loses here to His flesh, He doesn't win at the cross. No one can die for your sins that can't defeat their own flesh. And so how does Jesus prepare to defeat His flesh? How does Jesus prepare to have self-control? And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. He knew His weakness. He knew exactly how Satan was going to come at Him. And how did He prepare to have self-control? He fasted. What am I trying to say in this? Here's the thing that you need to understand. If we don't learn to say no to our flesh... Our flesh, the Spirit's willing, but the flesh is what? And so we have to do something to strengthen the Spirit so that the flesh doesn't overcome. So how do we do that? And He tells us that one of the ways we do it is by practicing saying no to the flesh. Without getting into a lesson on fasting, here's something that you need to understand. I know, and listen, if your flesh is already screaming at the fact that I'm preaching about fasting, that ought to be evidence to you of how real this battle is. Just the very fact that if I mention fasting and you go, what? What did he just say? He just cussed in a Baptist church. We don't fast, we eat. That's what we do. <laughs> you think about that for a minute. If the very fact that your flesh is screaming right now at the thought of fasting, that will be evidence to you of how powerful this flesh is. One of the things that you need to understand is fasting is this. Fasting says, I'm going to take a pleasure that typically is nothing wrong with it. I'm going to take a pleasure away from this fast. Most of the time it's food because for 99.9% .9 of us, food is our weakness. And so we take a pleasure away from our flesh so that as the flesh cries out and says, Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. We look back at the flesh and we say, You are not in control. My spirit is in control. And you flex those fleshly muscles or those spirit muscles. And you remind your flesh that man does not live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's what fasting does. Fasting is practice so that you learn to say no to your flesh. The reason why most of us can't say no to our flesh is because most of us don't know how to practice. And so because of that, whenever we want something, we just do it. Have you ever wondered why is it so easy for me to just give in to the things I know is not right? Why is it so easy? Well, maybe you're so weak in your spirit because you haven't practiced and you haven't flexed those muscles enough to get trained up to be able to remind your flesh that you are not in control flesh, but instead... God is in control. And so fasting is a very important battle. If Jesus prepared for the most important battle of His life in fasting, how much more important is it for us? Are you Jesus? Not even close. And so don't, don't underestimate fasting. 
Most of you are going to leave here today and you're not going to think another thing about that, are you? Because you flash, you say, just forget what he said. He don't know what he's talking about anyway. Very quickly, the last two, the, the number three is walk in the Spirit. If you want to practice self-control, walk in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So saying that, having watched to identify your primary battles, alright? You need to do that. If you hadn't done that, you need to figure out how Satan come at me mostly. How does he usually get me? What does he get me with? How does he get me off course so easy? And it don't take much. And so how does he do that? And then praying for strength to be able to overcome the fleshly desires. And then practicing by fasting in some way so that you learn to teach the flesh, I am not going to keep submitting to you. You don't rule over me. God rules over me. And as you keep doing that now, walk by faith. I want to give you a very quick example. I'm not even going to get to my last one. I'm going to end with this right here. <clears throat> Some of you have heard this before. I used to talk about it all the time. You remember the lame man in the Bible? Been lame from birth. Never walked. And Jesus comes to him. He says, hey, you want to walk? Well, yeah, I want to walk. Okay, well then, I say to you, get up and walk. That lame man has two choices. One, he can look at Jesus and he can say, I can't. And ain't that true? That's true. Or he can look at Jesus and he can say, if he commands me to walk, then he's probably got the power to make me walk. And so what's his second choice? And so here's what I'm saying to you. You've identified your battles. You know how He gets you. You have prayed and you've asked for the strength you need to, to overcome yourself. And you're practicing. And now you ain't got but one thing left to do. By faith, you get up and walk. You remember, this is how He normally gets me. This is how He tears me down. My flesh is weak. I don't have the power to get up and walk. I'm lame. But, if the Spirit tells me to walk this way, then by faith, I'm going to believe that He has the power to make me walk this way. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to walk. If you want to do that, then you can practice self-control. And if you practice self-control, you won't be disqualified. I wish I had more time to preach, but unfortunately i got to help and recognize some of y'all mothers. It is Mother's Day. I do ask you to forgive me for not coming in with a Mother's Day message, but I felt like that what we're on is actually more important than just trying to set aside a message for mothers. And so I'm praying that maybe you got something from today's lesson that you can leave here today, and here's my goal. I want you to make your call and your election sure. Sure. If it ain't sure this morning, don't leave. Don't, don't, don't leave the invitation this morning without coming up and saying, I ain't sure about my calling, but I want to be. I've been doing this a long time, preacher, but I, I am not sure about my calling because these qualities are not mine and they're definitely not increasing. 
And so according to Peter, something's wrong. Yeah. Let's attack it. Let's figure out what it is. Let's go after it. And make your call and your election sure this morning. And then I pray that today you're going to leave here today saying, here's how I'm going to practice on self-control this week because I know I'm disqualified without it. I know I'm not going to win the race without it because that's how winners run. They exercise self-control in all things. And so I'm going to identify my battles. I'm going to figure out. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to write them down. Here's how He gets me. Here's what He does. And then I'm going to pray about my battles. And I'm going to ask, me to ask Him to help me be watchful for these things so that I can be identifying them. And then I'm going to practice. This week, I'm going to pick something to fast from. Maybe you just start with one meal. For some of you, do you know how bad your flesh will scream if you deny it one meal? Now me, I usually go all day long without eating. It ain't nothing for me to just to not, not eat or drink anything until tonight sometime. Matter of fact, I may get through the whole day and go, man, I ain't ate or drank nothing. Just don't, don't think about it. But that's when I sit down and what do I do? And so if I get to the end of the day and I deny myself that meal, you know what my flesh is going to do? You can't do this to me, Kev. What are you doing to me? But it's where you train and you teach your body to say, listen, you're going to be okay. <laughs> but you're going to learn to deny yourself some things so that you remember that you're not in control. God is in control. And we're going to follow Him. So I pray today that you take something home with you that will help you to exercise self-control this week and you'll be a better Christian as a result of it.